Tammy a hand. Thank her. Good job. Great job. Love that, that southern hospitality. It makes me feel welcome. makes me feel home. That's so good. Uh, we're, we're glad you guys are here at church today. It's so good to be with you guys. Uh, my name is Josh. I have the privilege of being lead pastor. I'm um, glad you guys are here. If you're joining us online, can we give our online audience a huge hand? Thank them for being with us. Thank you guys. So, uh, all right. So we're in a little standalone week, as Cam mentioned, uh, where we're going to talk about uh, I, I thought since Valentine's Day falls on a Sunday this year that we would tackle that topic. And I know as we do that, I know some of you are not excited about that. Uh, there's so much that goes into this, and I, but I'm so, so excited to share God's word with you guys today. I do believe that you're going to walk away challenged and encouraged. Um, God is so good. Amen, church? Amen. And so I'm excited for that. Uh, let me just start out by saying this. Um, I believe with my whole heart that we were made for a relationship, that we were made to love and be loved, Amen. right? That we exist to be in human relationships with one another. Uh, that's why this topic can be so hard. It's because it's so central to our lives, uh, but also we struggle with it, don't we? We struggle with it. I would say that our greatest pains and our greatest joys all surround this topic of human relationship. Um, I do believe that uh, our greatest joys come from relationship. Um, I also believe that when we're laying on our deathbed, this is one of the ways that I try to evaluate life. Uh, I try to evaluate life from the perspective of when I'm laying on my deathbed, what will I wish my life had looked like? Um, and I try to reverse engineer it that way. When I'm laying on my deathbed, I'm not going to be saying, I wish I spent more time at work. I'm not going to be saying, I wish I spent more time on the boat, as awesome as that might be. Uh, I am going to be saying, I wish I spent more time with family. Now, if you combine the boat and family, then awesome, right? But, uh, but I'm going to be saying, I wish I had spent more time with those closest to me that I love and care about, right? That's what we're going to be saying. Um, here's a picture of my family, my wife, Ray Lynn, and our three uh, amazing, beautiful daughters. Uh, we had a chance over Christmas, New Year's, to go to the Ark Encounter, in Kentucky, and we love that. But there, this right here, this is the source of my great, the greatest joy in my life. Um, I'm a part of a big family. I have two, I have three older siblings, and they're all married. They all have kids. When we get together for hostler family gatherings, there's a lot of us that get together. Uh, I've got a great family picture of that entire crew. I will never forget my dad telling me that over the years as he's been in leadership, and he's had to have some hard board meetings or leadership meetings where there's conflict and conflict resolutions. Conflict, one of the things that he said he would do is he would take a picture of his grandkids and we'd set that on the desk, on the table in front of him as a reminder of what matters. Make sense? And also for some accountability. <laughs> I don't want to say anything or do anything that my grandkids would be embarrassed for me to do. And also just a reminder that at the end of the day, this board meeting, as important as this might be, what matters most is these relationships. Make sense? We were made to love and be loved. So then let me ask you, why do we get it so wrong? We've all been hurt by relationships. I was curious this week, and while this message is not going to be primarily or not only about marriage, uh, we're going to talk to single people, we're going to talk to married people, we're going to talk to married and single again people, um, single and don't want to be married people, like all those categories we're going to talk to. Um, but I was curious, as we talk about this foundation of relationship and love, um, 
you know, one of the culminations of that is obviously marriage. And uh, I was curious, you know, how we do with that. And I don't need to, you guys, you guys know all this stuff, but some of this is fascinating. Uh, I found this couple that has the world record for the most times married to each other. Uh, they didn't get divorced in this span of time. They just got, they just had wedding after wedding after wedding after wedding. 109 times they got married to each other. That's a lot of weddings. That's a lot. I thought my three daughters was going to be expensive, but that is crazy. They, they basically said this. They said, every day is our anniversary. <laughs> That's pretty much true. Like a third of the year is their anniversary. Um, they better send lots of gifts, right, right Tammy? So um, this man uh, here, he holds the, uh, the record for the n- most divorces. He's been, been married and divorced 29 different times, 29 different, different women um, he's been married to. Uh, four of them have died. I think they do need some investigating on that, <laughs> all right? Um, uh, this, this just blew my mind, but I was curious what the divorce industry, from a financial perspective, how much money is spent on divorce and that industry, you will not believe this. Uh, the NFL has an annual revenue of about 14 to 15 billion dollars. The divorce industry has an annual revenue of twice that. It's expensive. It's expensive. Crazy. I was curious about celebrity, celebrity weddings. We all know those are extremely successful. And so um, <laughs> I was curious about this. This is kind of one of those, those like records, but Pamela Anderson married movie mogul John Peters, and their marriage lasted a whopping 12 days. It's like, wouldn't you see something a little bit early? Like, hey, I don't know. Like, what happens from, like, day one to day 12? It's like, oh, no, we shouldn't have done this, right? Um, And now to hear that Kanye West and Kim Kardashian are struggling, like, I just can't take it anymore, people. I can't take it anymore, all right? Uh, (laughs) Ray Lynn sometimes will flip on The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, and uh, I just can't, I can't do it. I can't handle it. I'm so sad that they're not, I know they're not going to make it. I just know they're not going to make it. We've all heard this stat. Uh, before, uh, sad, but, uh, but statistically, uh, 50% of marriages, um, the average American marriage lasts eight years. And what's happening then is that uh, because of this, uh, people are just going like, maybe we weren't meant to be married. Maybe marriage is a social construct, right? Maybe it's something that society forces on us that maybe we're all just not meant to do it. And many younger people are choosing to get married just later in life, or just say, I'm not going to get married at all. But what I want to try to do is I want to try to return us back to a biblical perspective of all these issues, right? Love, marriage, singleness, dating, uh, intimacy, all these things. What does God have to say about these? And while I can't promise to solve all of love's challenges in a 30-minute talk, um, Psalm 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Amen? He's not talking about taking a hike at nighttime. He's talking about life, <laughs> that God's word sheds light on the path and decisions that we are to take. I do know that our enemy uh, seeks to steal, kill, and destroy, but not our God. Our God seeks to give us life and life abundantly. Amen? So let's look at what God's word says. So we're going to look at a few passages today. So you guys need to have your, your running shoes on, biblically speaking. The first passage I want you to open up to is Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, begin finding that. And as you are finding that, I'm going to ask us to pray. 
um, that God would speak to us during this time. So if you guys would bow your heads. Father, we're so grateful for your love for us. God, I thank you that we can sing that song we just sang. How great, how great, how great is your love. God, I pray that that would be the foundation of what we talk about today. God, would you please bring healing today? Would you please bring insight today? Would you please bring change by the power of the gospel today? We trust you with all these things. We believe in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 2. We're going to take a look at the first marriage, the first relationship, and uh, see what it says to us. So Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, It's not good for man to be alone. We could have told you that, right? I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, for the, now the Lord God formed out of the ground all the wild animals and what and all the birds in the sky, he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. Can you imagine that job, right? To get to name the animals, it's amazing, amazing. God gives Adam a place of leadership and dominion in the world. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh and the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he'd taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. These are the first recorded words of the first man, Adam. We know Adam probably spoke prior to this because he just got done naming the animals, right? But we know that men are not known for having lots of words. Any amens from the ladies? All right. Uh, but, or so, when we see the first recorded words of the first man, uh, it's important for us to take note of what he says. He says this. He says, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. You shall be... Uh, she was taken on man, so she shall be called woman. Now, there's no mention of the word love in these verses, but we know without a doubt that Adam was in love. How do we know that? I'll tell you. <laughs> we know that because Adam breaks out in a poem. Anytime a guy's writing poetry, you know he's in love. These first words, this phrase is, he breaks out in a song. He's like, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. At last, I have something of like substance to me. Part of the reason God parades all the animals in front of Adam is for him to see that while I have a connection with these animals, right, a man's best friend, none of them are a good complementary pair to me for the life that God has called me to. So then God creates Eve and brings her to Adam Bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. The NIV renders the beginning of that saying, um, uh, now, uh, this is now bone of my bone. The NRSV, different translation, says this is at last. The, uh, the GNB translation says it very well. It says, at last, here is one of my own kind. 
You guys know the song from the uh, 1960s, the Etta James song, At Last? Go home and play that this afternoon with your spouse. I wonder if Etta James was inspired by this poem that Adam writes, At Last, right? You can hear the song. I was going to try to play it for you, but it probably kick us offline. There's copyright issues, blah, 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 okay? And I'm not going to sing it for you. <laughs> I will spare you that. But this is the point in the, the, the narrative where Adam hears that Etta James song, and he's going, At Last. At last, this is that companion, this is that partner. Um, one of the books I read in the last couple of months, is, which is where I get the sermon title from today, is a book called Loveology by John Mark Comer. Uh, definitely recommend this book. Great book on this topic that we're talking about today. Um, so he writes this in this book. He said, did you catch that? God created marriage. This whole thing was his idea. Love Marriage, sexuality, romance, it all began in the mind of God. It was his imagination, his creative genius that thought it all up. Marriage did not evolve 50,000 years ago in ancient Mesopotamia as a way to deal with civic litigation. It was embedded into the human DNA from the start. That's why people from every culture on the planet get married. From Papua New Guinea to New York City, one strand runs throughout the tapestry of the more than 7 billion people on earth. That one strand is this idea of marriage. Marriage was God's idea. So God creates for Adam this perfect complementary pair created by God perfectly for him. And I think in many ways that's what we're all still looking for today, right? That perfect one, <laughs> That perfect one. But if we look at the text more closely, that's not what it says. It's really important whenever we can to use biblical language for things. Make sense? We believe the Bible is inspired by God. Not just the ideas, but every single word was inspired by God. So we have to pay attention to the wording that's used. So look back at verse 18. So the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a what? A helper suitable for him. Then again in verse 20, so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals, but for Adam, no suitable what? Helper was found. That's the Hebrew word ezer, E-Z-E-R. We're going to talk a little more about that word later on, but don't get tripped up on that word, but every word is important, and it's used twice in this passage. Adam is not going to be alone. I'm going to make a helper for him, suitable for him. And then again, it says, I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. So here's the summary for that. The purpose of marriage is this, is to have a helper. Biblically speaking, the purpose of marriage is to have a helper. Not someone to pick up your clothes or do the dishes, but someone to help you. The role of a husband is to be a helpmate to his wife. And the role of a wife is to be a helpmate to her husband, to make the other person better. Um, my wife and I, we met in college, and uh, this is a picture of one of our first times hanging out together. We look like kids, right? My wife hasn't changed. Uh, my face has aged a little bit. Got some of the crow's feet and everything. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But um, honestly, the complete and honest truth is my wife makes me a better man. From day one, my wife has made me a better man. She makes me a better man of God. She spurs me on in my relationship with God and holiness. She has always been the kind of person in my life that makes me a better man. She is a helper to me. The question is, a helper for what? 
A helper for what? So here's the summary statement of the entire message today. The purpose of marriage is to provide a helpmate to fulfill the purposes of God for your life here on earth. We could get into Genesis chapter 1 and look a little more deeply and give clarity to what those purposes are. Number one, to raise godly offspring. Number two, to exercise spiritual leadership and dominion uh, here in the, the world that God has given to us. But to summarize it, to fulfill the purposes of God for your life here on earth. That sounds like a much different target and focus for marriage than what we see in the culture around us, doesn't it? So here's what I'm saying. In other words, I'm saying that marriage, love, sex, dating, even singleness are not about me. They are about God. They are about God. And I think one of the main differences um, in, in what we're talking about is a shift from thinking about uh, other people as our soulmate versus thinking about them as our helpmate. Culture says soulmate. You are the one. Until that one's not the one, then the next one's the one. And then 29 times for that one guy, right? The problem is if you marry the wrong one, you marry somebody else's one, and it all gets messed up, right? All gets messed up. But instead, the Bible doesn't use that language. The Bible says helpmate. So here's some of the differences between helpmate and soulmate. I want to try to kind of draw this out a little bit. So soulmate, we tend to think of a soulmate as the Jerry Maguire line, you complete me, right? You had me at hello. A soulmate, we think, is supposed to complete us. Every longing and desire that you have, your spouse or your mate is supposed to fulfill all of those needs. A helpmate is different. A helpmate says, you compliment me. God is my source of all those needs, but you are my support, right? My spouse is not my savior. God is my savior. You are my support, we tend to view a soulmate as destiny, the stars aligned. Uh, it's kind of like Goldilocks and the three bears. If the first one doesn't work, you try out the next one and then the next one until you find the right one. That's why we're devastated, right, when those relationships end because we thought they were the one, right? We, it's, it's part of our language and our wording and our thinking. But a helpmate is about design, that marriage is an illustration of God's grace, that our partner, our spouse is imperfect, but God's grace and love fills in those gaps, so we stay together, we work together, we grow together. Marriage is supposed to be an illustration or a picture of God's covenant with us. You read Ephesians chapter 5, that marriage is designed to mirror God's relationship to us. That's why we stay together. That's why we commit in covenant for life, till death to us part. A soulmate is ten, tends to be self-focused. What's in it for me? What is this person providing for me? But a helpmate is serving-focused. First, to serve God, that we're together as a couple to help each other serve God. We're to serve our spouse, each other. We're to serve others. Part of what God does is brings us together in marriage to serve and raise godly kids. I know parenting is tough, but God has given us a helpmate in this process to be able to serve children, to raise them to, to know and love God. He gives us each other to serve within a church family, that it's godly and it's good to serve one another in a church family, than to serve our community. That's all part of God's design and plan for marriage and for family, to have helpmates. We also tend to think of soulmates as forever, right? They get married, they, they fall in love. It's funny to me how the movies portray these things. They, get, they fall in love, then what's the next line? They lived happily ever after. All the movies end with the, the wedding, don't they? 
Isn't that funny? <laughs> they don't show the rest of it. <laughs> it's, just, it's just, okay, get married, then it's happily ever after. Like, no, that's not it, right? That's not it. There's a lot that goes on between wedding and, and ever after. <laughs> um, they don't show that part. Um, because I don't think they have a plan for that part. I think, they're conf- I think we're confused about that part. So we tend to view soulmate as forever. The Bible describes help, helpmate as for a moment. This last point is going to mess with us a little bit, and that's okay. It's going to drive home the point. Then the passage, next passage I want you to turn to is Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, the context, Jesus is being peppered with questions by a group of people known as the Sadducees. They believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in the afterlife. That's why they were sad, you see. Um, <laughs> bad Bible school jokes, right, Pastor Thompson? <laughs> the Sadducees were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the afterlife. They didn't believe in the resurrection of the body. They're asking Jesus questions. They wanted to trick him to get him to admit that, oh yeah, you're right, there is no afterlife. Instead, Jesus takes him to school to teach him more about the afterlife, and specifically in regard to marriage and the afterlife. So if they lay out this scenario, they say, well, what if there's a husband and a wife, and, and the husband dies, and she remarries? And then that husband dies, and she remarries again, and they go through the scenario seven times. The question is, at the resurrection, whose wife is she going to be? She had seven husbands, right? So when they go into heaven, whose wife is she going to be? So they ask him this question, verse 27, Matthew chapter 20, verse 27. Finally, the woman died. This last, this, finally, this woman dies after seven husbands. She finally dies. Then at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven, since all of them were married to her? Jesus replied, you are in error because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will, not, they will be like angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that God said to you, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. He's trying to teach them about the afterlife. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. So what's Jesus saying in regards to marriage? He's saying this, that marriage does not exist in heaven. I know that messes with us. Before you start throwing things at me, It's what scripture clearly teaches. That this type of relationship is something unique that has only been created for this life. I think part of the reason for that is God said it's not good for man to be alone, right? He needs a helper. I think in heaven, we don't have that need for a helper. That we're complete. We're we're perfected. We don't need a human helper anymore. We're in the presence of God. Remember this, it makes, it makes us sad. It makes me sad to think about that. But let's remind ourselves that there is no disappointment in heaven. We don't go down in joy and satisfaction. We only go up exponentially. At death, nothing is lost. There are only higher and higher octaves of love and happiness. Whatever joy we sense here, it is even greater there. Amen? And this is all done, as Jesus said in these verses, by the power of God. Instead, what it does is it reveals to us, please hear me, this is the temporary and momentary nature of relationships like this. When we see the temporary nature of of marriage, instead it should cause us to treasure it for what it is 
an amazing gift for our joy and for the fulfilling of God's purposes here on earth. To think that I only have Raylan for this life, it causes me to cherish her and to love her and to do everything I can to be her best helper and her to me. I thought after the second time around it would be easier. She's sitting in the service, so it's not any easier. <laughs> so what do we do? What do we do? I want to give some encouragements and some challenges. Number one, I want to challenge you to stop looking for a soulmate. That's the wrong target. Start looking for a helpmate. Stop looking for the, and chasing the mythical one. Start pursuing the one that would be a great helper to you to serve God's purposes of love and marriage and dating and sex. Trust God with the care and fulfillment of your, your deepest longings and joy. So I'm going to give some encouragement to a couple different categories of people. I'm going to speak first of all to the married people. Then I'm going to speak to the single people. You guys ready? Say I'm ready. Help me out. Say I'm ready. No more sniffling. Although I could use a Kleenex if anyone wants to grab me a Kleenex. I, I do have, oh, you know, no, I, I can't, I, I still have to pull up my mask and use my mask, but that would be a little bit gross. <laughs> I, I've got to live with that later. <laughs> See, ideas have consequences. You got to think stuff through. got to think stuff through. Oh, man. All right. <laughs> some elbow bumping. All right, to the married people. To the married people in the room. In fact, if you're married, could you guys raise your hand if you're married in the room? Married people? All right. So to you who are married, I know there's lots of variations within that. Some of you are married to people who are believers, and that helpmate scenario works really well, a lot better that way. Some of you are married to unbelievers, and that makes that even more challenging. Scripture says that if you're married to someone who's not a follower of Jesus, you are to stay in that marriage um, as you're able to, so that you can win them by your love and your faithfulness and your grace. That's, what, that's the hope that we have. Um, if that person wants to leave you or divorce you, um, Scripture says to allow them to do that. Um, to those of you who are married and you have a believing spouse, um, uh, that's why that is so important that Scripture gives that encouragement. So those of you who are married, my encouragement is this, to treat your spouse with love and respect that you would treasure them for the gift that they are, that God designed them to be, imperfect as they are, because so are you. My encouragement is to not divorce God from your love life. That's our tendency, right? It's to separate God from this stuff that we think is different, that this is not part of God, but we have to keep God and our love life married together. Marriage is a picture of the gospel, and God's covenant-keeping power with us. So your job as a spouse is to help your spouse fulfill the promises and purposes of God for their life. Don't put a weight on them that isn't theirs to carry. They are not your Messiah to fulfill all your deepest needs and longings. That's God's. You're to help them fulfill the, God's purposes for their life, and vice versa. To the single people in the room, 
Let me just express this. You are not a second-rate Christian or person because you are single. There's nothing wrong with you. For decades, we have in the church idealized what we would call the complete family. But we recognize that we live in an imperfect world. So thankfully, God has blessed us with something called the family of God, with spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers and spiritual brothers and sisters. Amen? And so we do this thing called life together by the grace of God. I think within singleness, there's two categories of people. There's people who are single and they want to be, and there's people who are single and they don't want to be. To those of you who are single and you want to be single, let me encourage you to evaluate why you want to remain single. If it's for selfish reasons, that's not good. If it's because of past hurts, you need to allow God to heal those. So why do you want to stay single? Maybe it is the gift of singleness, as Scripture talks about. But you're not off the hook as a single person. You're called to, to live out the purposes of God for your life as a single person. To those of you who are single and you don't want to be single, I want to just acknowledge that that longing that you have to be in a relationship that lasts a lifetime is a good and honorable desire. And that we will trust, as Scripture says, that he will honor and he will fulfill that longing in your heart. Psalm 37, verse 4 says, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in God. Align your, the, the longings of your heart with God's plan and then he will fulfill those longings, and I trust God to be your helper and provider, to provide a helpmate for you. Here's what to look for in a helpmate. Again, we're not looking for soulmate. We're looking for helpmate, right? So women, I'm sorry, uh, we'll talk to the men first. Men, write this down. Write down Proverbs 31. Go read it. You are looking, men, you are looking for a Proverbs 31 woman. I found one. You can find one too. Men, I'm sorry, women, you are looking for a Titus 1 man. Write down Titus 1, Titus chapter 1, and go look it up, go read it. You are looking for a Titus 1 man. It's a description of, of, uh, of elders, not old people. But if, if, if you're, if that's, fine, that's fine too, but just, but, uh, okay. Old people can, can get married too. And I looked over at Pastor Thompson when I said that. <laughs> um, where was I? Titus chapter 1, it's a description of a godly man is what it is. Description of a godly man. Don't get fooled. Don't, don't, you're looking for a helpmate. Um, this is weird advice. I think if I was single right now and, and looking to get married, um, I would not hesitate. You've got to be wise. But I would not hesitate to use some of the tools that are available. <laughs> I know many people who've met Christian online dating sites. Uh, again, I, this is a weird encouragement. Probably should give this more like personal counseling than I am right now like in front of all you and online, but I'm not sponsored by any of those sites. Um, <laughs> but the uh, proverb says, whoever finds a wife finds what is good. Sometimes you have to find them, right? Men, sometimes you have to find them. 
Maybe like Adam, God will like take a rib out and bring one to you, but uh, maybe you need to go find one. And, but with wisdom, right, with discernment, again, helpmate, not soulmate, looking for the things that God would want for you just to serve your purpose, the purposes you have, that he has for you. So kind of turn the corner here at the end. Many people struggle with this, uh, this idea of helpmate, right, that they think it's derogatory, they think it's, well, you know, it's Eve just a helper for Adam, like what is this about? And No, not at all. The Hebrew word that I talked about is the Hebrew word ezer, E-Z-E-R, and it's used lots of places in the Bible. One of the more prominent ways that it's used is to describe God as our helper. Right? That God is our ezer, that God is our helper. So if you're hurting from past relationships, guess what? God is your helper. Amen? That if you're longing for a helpmate, Trust that God is your helper. If you're struggling in your current marriage, trust that God is your helper. And if life is good, you're loving life, guess what? Trust that God is your helper, right? That God is your azer. He is your helper. Um, our youngest daughter, um, Annabelle, which uh, they may be watching this right now with grandpa and grandma, um, her name has a meaning, and her name means easy to love. I absolutely love that. I believe that's true. Um, I love, uh, Annabelle, if you are watching, I love your appetite for life. I love uh, your spunk. Um, I love everything about you. There's a verse that we've given to her as her life verse. It's 1 John 4.19. That we love because God first loved us. So what I want you to walk away with and know this morning is that you are loved by God. And it's because of that love that we can be successful and healthy in our human relationships with each other. Amen? And I'm going to ask the band to come up and we're going to pray. Would you guys stand with me as we pray? Uh, if you're in the room today and you're here with your spouse, I'd encourage you to, uh, to get a little bit closer. And um, we're going to pray for each other. We're going to pray with each other. And we're going to pray together. And God, thank you for this time. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for your love for us. We need that. God, thank you that that our deepest longings and desires are fulfilled in you. That we are lacking nothing. And that if all we have today is you, you are more than enough. God, we are grateful for this gift of love and relationship and marriage. God, what an amazing gift. God, for those who've been given this gift, I pray that we would cherish it and honor it. God, for those husbands and wives who are struggling because one is a believer and one is not, God, we believe your word. We pray that you would, by the power of God, draw the unbelieving spouse to a saving relationship with you. God, right now, in the name of Jesus, as you've drawn all of us, God, you would draw them by your grace that they would know you, that that marriage would be healed and reconciled and it would be 
every bit of the picture you want it to be of the gospel and of your covenant relationship with us. May it be a beautiful example of your saving grace toward us. God, for those that are, are single in the room, they're single and want to be single, God, would you please be their strength? Would they live out their lives to honor and glorify you, fulfill the purposes that you have for their life? Whatever that may be, God, would they honor you with their singleness? For those that are single and don't want to be, God, we acknowledge that longing. We believe it's a godly longing. And we trust that you will be their azer, their helper, to provide that helpmate for them to fulfill that desire. Help them to trust you, be patient with you, to not settle, but to continue to seek that helpmate that you have for them. God, you are good. Help us to worship you. You are worthy of our praise. Please, God, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.